What a pleasure it is to be able to preach today between two important Sundays. Last week we celebrated the incarnation, the birth of our Lord Jesus. And next week we celebrate the Lord's Supper and his death and atonement for our sins. We're we're caught in between a little Oreo here. And it's wonderful. And today we find ourselves in the middle of these two most important moments in all of history. And we're at the start of a new year. It's been four years since I've been here at the church now, been in Panama City. And four years ago, I found myself in this exact same place under uh, vastly different circumstances. I had just been hired to the church in October before Hurricane Michael. We were excited. We sold our house. And then Hurricane Michael hit. And we were still excited, but nervous and anxious I drove my little family back into Panama City on October 31st, and I was going to start November 1st. And Panama City, if you were here, it was a ghost town. There was debris everywhere. It looked like a bomb went off. There was power lines still on the street, demolished buildings. It was awful. And I thought, what have I done? (laughs) My little family. What a terrifying time it was, obviously, for people who were here. I just can't imagine being in that. And then I had to preach. My my first sermon was January 1st. That was when I was going to preach my first sermon, or at least around there. And I had to be optimistic about the new year. What do I tell a people who are battered and bruised about a new year? Well, I searched for a passage. I searched high and low all of scripture. And the passage I found then and the one that I'm preaching on today is something that encapsulates the joy of Christmas The sorrow of our sin and the cross. And it also encapsulated really nicely what 2018 in Panama City felt like. This was from the book of Lamentations. Here's what the very first verse says. How deserted lies the city once so full of people. That's what I felt. How deserted lies the city once so full of people. Of people. Before we get further into the text, here's a little context for the book. Lamentations was uh, most likely written by the prophet Jeremiah. It doesn't tell us, but everyone really agrees it was Jeremiah. And he's writing shortly after the Babylonian invasion of Jerusalem. He's, he's walking the streets of the ruined city, once glorious, once beautiful. And that little title in the Hebrew translates to how... Alas, or oh. We take the word and we get it into the Greek through the Latin Vulgate and we say lament, which means a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Jeremiah, how? Alas, oh. If you've ever felt great sorrow, you know those words very well. In the book, we read the words of a broken Jeremiah. He's he's walking the streets, walls destroyed, rubble everywhere. Princes are hung in the streets. People are slaughtered. Starvation is to the point where mothers are considering eating their children. That's in the text. That's the situation Jeremiah is walking into. He's witnessed atrocities taking place, and he's going to process it in a little book. If you read it today, I I encourage you to go home and read it. There's a reason Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. 
It's a book of lament and sorrow. And so as we process these past four years, I like to do this when I come to a new year. I want to process the past years. I want to look back. And so I want to process my past four years in Panama City, America in general. And we think about that Hebrew title, How Alas. That's going to be helpful for us. Hurricanes. We've waited for FEMA. Little thing called COVID. How many loved ones have died? Lockdowns, mental strain on everyone, war, a transition period now at the church. How did this all happen? Why does this happen? You see, Jeremiah tells us the how and the why for his very specific illustration, you know, his situation. He says this destruction on Jerusalem, go read the book. It's all about the people's sin. And so in this particular case, God is punishing the people through the Babylonian captivity, through the Babylons, because they want to punish Jerusalem. That's his specific case. You might remember in in John 9, there's a man born blind, and the disciples say, Jesus, who sinned that this man would be born blind? Him or his parents? Because they're equating punishment with sin. And Jesus says this. He says, nobody sinned. But this man was born blind so that God's glory might be revealed. You see, Jeremiah had special insight into his how and why, just as Jesus had special insight to that man's how and why as well. And so what I said four years ago and what I'm saying again now is when tragedy befalls us, when the bad comes to us in life, it's not always direct punishment for something we've done. It may be. But it is punishment upon sin. It is punishment upon Satan and the effects of living in a fallen world. We are in a fallen world. And as far as the curse is found, that is what Christ has come to redeem. And so the Bible says we don't always know the how and why of our situations. But here's what we do know. It says, for the elect of God, all things work ultimately for the good of those who what? Love him. Now notice again, it doesn't say all things all the time will always be good. Instead, all things will work together for good. All things, good and bad, eventually will be worked for the good, for our good and for God's glory. Again, we, we, on earth, we look at a tapestry. Have you ever seen a tapestry from behind? It's, it's just gross. It's, you know, frayed ends and you go, what, is, what are they doing? And then you go around the front And it's beautiful. And so we see the tapestry from behind now, right? The Bible says we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. One day we will see the tapestry and we'll go, that's what we were looking at? That was how the Lord was weaving in my life? I never would have thought that. Romans 8 tells us all creation itself, since it's been affected by the fall, it's groaning for the Lord to renew all things. And so these hurricanes, these earthquakes, these tsunamis, war, famine, plague, this is all the earth groaning. It's the earth groaning due to our sin. It's us groaning due to our sin. It's all of the sin being worked out until Jesus returns. That's a brief little insight into how our world works, how your heart works being affected by the fall. I was in Virginia still when Michael was just hitting. I'd called my parents 
Uh, I heard like a tr- freight train in the back. I mean, it was just terrifying time. And all the lines went out. If you, you know, the phone lines were down. And by the time Michael got up to me in Virginia, it had knocked out 46,000 people's power in our area. That's how strong it still was. 50 mile per hour wind. My, my house was shaking. My windows were shaking. My power was out. And we had our, our kids, we had moved mattresses in the hall, and it was just this uncertain time. Were, were our loved ones alive? What, what was going on? We were supposed to be moving into this. And in the dark of that night, my little cell phone goes off. And it's a number I don't know, and, I, and I'm scared. I'm thinking, oh no, what's happened to someone I love? And on the other end of that phone is Keith Perry. Now, if you know Keith Perry, he was our Mission to North America guru. He lived down here for like a year with us, and he worked to help us rebuild. Well, it was Keith Perry. I had never met him. He was calling me because there was nobody else to call, and I had set myself up as a mediator until everyone got phones. And so Keith is talking to me on the phone, trying to work out situations. I'm going, I don't know anything. I'm up here in Virginia, and he's just, you know, I'm in my house. I'm thinking everything's awful, and he says this to me. He says, Heath, storms like this remind Christians about God's power, and it reminds everyone else about his wrath. And I thought, who are you? (laughs) What, What nerve do you have to tell me this when I'm in the middle of this crisis? And I love it because it stuck with me this whole time. And, I'm, and I told Keith that later. I said, I am so thankful for you telling me that. You didn't even know me, but you spoke truth when I didn't want to hear it, but when I needed to hear it most. Well, Jeremiah is smack dab in the middle of lament and horror. And he finds himself contemplating exactly what Keith talked about. God's wrath and his power. And it's in the middle of this how and the alas of tragedy that grace-filled, joyful recognition comes out of Jeremiah's heart. It's in the middle of this book that the entire book of Lamentations hangs on this passage that we're going to be reading today. In the midst of the wreckage and the rubble, hope appears. Jeremiah calls to mind God's love, his mercy, And his everlasting faithfulness towards his people. The Bible says God's anger lasts a moment, a breath, and his favor lasts a lifetime. And so here we are at the close of 2022. Four years of being here. Let's pause and let's reflect like Jeremiah does, both on our sin and on God's everlasting mercy to us through Jesus Christ. Let's read together. This is Lamentations 3, 21 through 24. Jeremiah says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Let's stop there. What was the worst year of your life? 
I remember back in 2016, can we go back that far in your minds? Go back there, 2016. I remember how many people couldn't wait for that year. That was an awful year <laughs> to be over. It was so divisive. We had this divisive election. We had mass shootings happen. We had riots. Uh, Brexit was a thing. I don't know what happened with Brexit, but maybe it fizzled out. Or whatever. Brexit was a thing. That was a big deal. And then New Year's came and on Facebook, on social media, Twitter, everyone said, I'm done. Adios, 2016. It can only go up from here. And then 2017 and 18 and 19 and 20, there was another crazy election, more division, COVID. 2021 brought lockdowns, stock market crashes, vaccines, masks, Ukraine, Russia. We've had some pretty rotten years. It's been pretty rough. For Jeremiah, I wonder if he walked the streets and thought, You know, what a rotten year this has been for Israel. (laughs) All the Christians, they suffered 10 waves of persecution. Man, what a rotten 200 years we've been in. You see, this this is our life. Because of sin, our lives are filled with rotten years. And nostalgia is such a powerful drug because it's such a good liar. It's such a good liar. The grass is always greener on the other side. If only I could go back to the 1950s. What about the 1300s? You know those people back in the 1300s? Sure, they had the Black Plague, but they had it made. Man, we have it so good, don't we? If we really stop and think about it, it's all about perspective. Yes, yes, rotten years. Because sin is is real. Because we're sinful. You know, the problem, I always like to say, is the problem with the flood is that Noah survived. That was the problem. We are the problem. We have had so many years of unspeakable joy and love and grace, technological advances. I mean, blessing after blessing after blessing from the Lord. And so Jeremiah is in the middle of this and somehow the Holy Spirit, the Lord, gives him perspective and he stops and goes, You know what? The Lord has been faithful to us. Despite our sin, despite this present circumstance, God is faithful. And he has perspective. Verse 21, yet this I call to remind, and therefore I have hope. Because, yeah, it's a rotten year, but we have the Lord. In the aftermath of rotten handful years, we as believers must take hope. Why do we have hope? Why do we take heart? Because he's overcome the world. Because God is faithful. We call to mind past joys, past graces, past mercies. We count our blessings and we name them one by one. And if we do that, what will our conclusion be? Great is thy faithfulness. O Lord, what love the Father has lavished upon us. And so the question for Jeremiah and for us is not, how could this have happened? How? Lord, Lord, why did this happen? It's, how did we make it through it? Looking back at the last four years, how how are we here? Verse 22, because the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. That's why we're here. Because the Lord is compassionate. When my son is hurting, I have great compassion for him. I know tears and bruises and heartaches, that's part of life. 
It's part of living in a sinful world. My compassion towards him when those trials come never cease. Even when those trials come about because of his own sin, I have mercy and compassion for my son. You see, he has to experience those things. He has to mature as a human being. And so though he's sinful, I want to show him grace even when he doesn't deserve it. Now, I, the Bible says I'm wicked. And if I know how to give my son a little bit of compassion, how much greater is God's compassion towards us? The pastor, John Piper, he said this. He said, I've never heard anyone say the really deep lessons of my life have come through times of ease and comfort. I have heard strong saints say every significant advance I've ever made in grasping the depths of God's love and growing deep with him has come through suffering. The minister Samuel Rutherford said that when he is cast into the cellars of affliction, he is remembered, he reminded that the king keeps his best wine there. And the pastor Charles Spurgeon said, they who dive into the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. You see, that's the beauty again of the gospel. This is the beauty of what Christ does. Even in affliction, we are being refined. We are being sanctified and purified and conformed into his image. James 1, 2 through 3, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And so my prayer four years ago and today is the same thing. Lord, use First Presbyterian Church in a mighty way. God, teach us something in the midst of our rotten years about you. Forgive us for our sin. Help us to experience your love and compassion in new ways. I want us to count our blessings. Let's look back. Let's count our afflictions. Let's count our sufferings, our trials, and let's say joy. Joy. That was even a joy because you were shaping me into the person I am today. Lord, thank you for those trials. Verse 22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. So the Bible says God's compassion, his mercy, his grace towards his children, towards us. It's new. It's never exhausted. But the question is, how is it new and why is it new? Well, the first thing, and this is good news, God's compassion and mercies are new every morning because I used it all up the day before. (laughs) Because you used it all up the day before. Because we are sinful. His grace is fresh. Because I woke up today rotten. I woke up tired and exhausted. And I needed new, fresh grace. So God has ordained both the trouble and the mercies that come each day. And so both the trials and the graces are to my benefit. Now this gives you hope. Because with new sins... With new trials, with new temptations, this means there comes new forgiveness, new mercies, new grace to handle it all. Think back to the most difficult time in your life. It's probably a painful memory. How did you handle that moment? Was it confidently? Were you prepared for it? Was it with worry, anxiety? Maybe you barely handled that moment at all, and yet here you are. 
And the fact that any of us have made it this long is grace. We're here today because of God's grace, illness, sorrow, natural disaster. None of it could stop God's compassion upon us. The Israelites, you'll remember, they woke up in the wilderness to manna. And they were told, don't store up that manna. You're going to have manna tomorrow. Trust in the Lord. Trust each day that God will apportion for you exactly what you need to eat. Exactly what you need. Give us today our daily bread. And so when we are anxious about tomorrow, we are storing up manna. We're storing up God's grace saying, no, Lord, you won't give us what I need for tomorrow. I don't trust you. God, I need more than what you have planned. Do you see why that's trouble? And so Jesus says in Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothes? And then he finishes with this, with compassion. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you're going to have enough. And you're going to have enough because you have a father who is the giver of all gifts, who loves to show compassion to his children. Now, that's not Jesus saying, hey, don't be prepared. Fly by the seat of your pants. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, don't let anxiety and worry take the place of simply resting in the assurance that God loves you. As my wife and I, we were sitting in that dark hallway. We were terrified. We had anxiety and worry. My children were snoring. They were snoring because we watched. Because they had confidence we loved them. You see, we have a God that neither slumbers nor sleeps. And he's watching over his people. Each day, sufficient grace, sufficient mercies for that day's trouble. So that's the why What about the how? How are God's compassions? How are his mercies new every morning? Well, that word new, if you know, it can mean a few things. The first way is the simplest. And it just means that you wake up, you woke up today, maybe there's coffee brewing. And you smell it, right? My wife walked in, would you like a cup of coffee? New mercy. Yes. Thank you. That's exactly what I needed. You walk out in the household, everyone's alive and well. The kids, maybe they're killing each other, but they're great. They're okay. You have clothes to wear. Mercy, mercy. Your car started today. You only had a little bit of traffic. Mercy. All common things, but these are mercies from the Lord. Now, the second way to read that word new is that these are novel mercies. These are brand new mercies, things you've, you've never experienced before. So again, a new sin pops up and God gives you grace to handle it. He gives you a friend to say, hey, I want to be accountability. I want to keep, I want to help you. I want to love you. Somebody after Michael, can I tarp your roof? That was a mercy. Something brand new. You never even knew you needed. God opens your eyes. You're reading the Bible. You go, I must have read that passage a hundred times, but today I read it. New mercy, new grace, compassion. And these new mercies can also sometimes be hard mercies. These can be hard mercies, things that we don't want, but things that we need. John Piper, again, the pastor, he talks about how when he was a teenager, he had horrible acne. 
all over his face. And if you've ever experienced that as a teen, you know, you know the pain of that and, and the sorrow that can bring. Now he looks back and says, thank you, Lord, for my acne. It kept me from spending all my money on girls and it kept women away from me, right? He was thankful. Now, as a teenager, you can't say that. But as an adult, you say, thank you, Lord. It kept me away from girls. I didn't need that at the time. Hard mercies, hard lessons, hard trials. 2022 was filled with them. That will sanctify us. We will look back 10, 20 years from now and go, I cannot believe the work the Lord did on me in 2022. Thirdly, because God's love and mercies are new every morning, they are inexhaustible. I heard, I heard someone say, the passage is, great is your faithfulness, not great is my faithfulness, right? God's faithfulness is inexhaustible. His compassion towards us, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation, you are hidden in him, inexhaustible. He loves you with an everlasting, never stopping love. New forgiveness, new encouragement. And this should compel us to seek Jesus in new ways, with new love, new devotion, new adoration. Jesus, I love you. You got me through 2022. What is 2023 going to hold for me? I can't wait to, to, to pour my life out for you. And so as believers, we look back at Michael, at COVID, and it's like Keith Perry said, I'm in awe of what my God can do of his power and his might. And as I stand in the rubble of rotten years, I want to sing, great is your faithfulness. Because of your love, I'm not consumed. May your name be praised. Now, on the other hand, what is the response of the unbeliever? If you do not know Christ, you look back and you tremble. You should tremble at what has taken place. Though God's grace towards you, his common mercy, his common grace has been upon you, you delight in your sin, you remain in your rebellion. Now, if that describes you, listen to what God says in Ezekiel 18.23. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live. Second Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, if you have made it this far, and you are living in unrepentant sin, if you are living apart from Christ, today is your day to turn. Today is your day, because he will not tolerate your wickedness Forever. He has shown you patience. Hear the voice of Christ. Would you hear the voice of Christ? He's calling you to himself. Because of God's tender mercies, you have hope. He came to save sinners. The pastor Paul Tripp says this. He says, the wrath of God is the hope of mankind. You say, what on earth does that mean? The wrath of God is the hope of mankind. It means that on the cross, all of God's wrath was poured out on one person. All of your sin, my sin, all of it redirected, absorbed like a sponge by Jesus Christ in our place. 
So if you came into this room hopeless, I want you to leave with endless hope. You can be right with God. You can start 2023 as a new creation if you would turn to Christ and be saved. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Again, if, you're gonna, if you go read Jeremiah, he spends five chapters of that tiny little book just recalling the faithlessness of Israel. All the idolatry now stands in stark contrast to God's everlasting faithfulness. Not just towards Israel, towards us. 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. That is why through him we utter amen to God for his glory. 2 Timothy 2.13, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. We love the covenants. Us reformed people love the covenants, and I'm not even going to go into that about how God has shown us his his covenant, faithful love, time and time again. Verse 24, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore, I'll wait for him. I'll wait for him. In 2023, the world will offer you extravagant portions. It'll say, here you go. This is the best of this. This is the best of that. And the believer says, no, thank you. The Lord is my portion. I don't want what you have to offer. The Lord is all I need. All I have is Christ. It's not Jesus plus. It's not Jesus and. It's Jesus. And so like Jeremiah, we wait now. We wait another year. The earth groans Another year, our bodies age, another year, but we're patient. We hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. That's Hebrews 10, 23. I want to make just a few quick statements uh, before we close here today. I want to talk about the sovereignty of God. I talked about this last time I preached on this. And when natural disasters come in our life, when, when tragedies befall us, it's very natural for people to have questions and to wonder about why these things are happening. Well, as Presbyterians, we believe that all things that come to pass, good and bad, only come to pass because God has ordained them to be so. Too often I hear well-meaning people, they'll say something like this. Well, you see, God had nothing to do with this. Or God had nothing to do with whatever happened to you. And I want to tell you, if God has nothing to do with hurricanes, with COVID, with illness, with death, with disaster, if he has nothing to do with all those things, then then they're out of our control. Chaos reigns. And you should be terrified to leave your house. God has everything to do with everything. And that is why I have hope to face tomorrow. Because God is sovereign over all things, because he is working all things, even the wickedness of men, for, the, for our good and for his glory, I leave the house with hope, with joy, excitement about 2023. The other thing I hear is this. Why would a good God allow such evil, such, such things to exist? To which I reply, you see, he doesn't. He doesn't tolerate Evil. That's the whole point of Lamentations. God actually punishes evil. The world celebrates it. 
If you're so concerned with evil being punished, then you and I need to be first in line. (laughs) You see, he who is without sin needs to get first in line. God was so serious about punishing evil, he sent his son to put an end to it once and for all. One more. Why would a good father, why would a good God allow tragedy to befall his children? And this is when you look at them and you say, so you believe in God then? And they'll say, well, no, of course not. Then why would you expect my father to give you good things? If you have breath in your lungs, if you are here today, what more does he owe you? Do you see that? It's all about perspective. What does God owe any of us? Nothing. And yet, what does he give us? Mercy, compassion, grace. All good gifts are from the Father. But a child doesn't want correction. A child doesn't, a foolish child doesn't want correction from their father. They want sweets and candies. But a good father punishes and instructs and corrects their child. And so I just, at the close of this, of this year, the start of a new one, God, would you forgive us if we ever look at his power, if we ever look at his wrath and we say, that was chance, that was luck, that was something else, Lord, forgive us. Instead, let us fall to our knees in reverence. God, we're not consumed. You have given us another day. The trees have sprouted new leaves. Roofs have been repaired. Broken hearts are being mended. Cities are rebuilt. Fresh mercies, fresh grace each and every morning. I'll close with an article. There's an article in the Atlantic magazine entitled Winton's Blues. And in it, the author talks about walking around. He was walking around Greenwich Village and he was stopping in it at his favorite blues bar. This little hole-in-the-wall blues bar. And he goes up to the bar and he sits down and he's talking with the guy next to him. And in the back of the, you know, there's a band playing. And in the back in the shadows, there's, there's a, a, a wonderful just uh, jazz musician, a trumpeter. And he can see him and he, and he looks at the guy next to him and says, Is that Wynton Marsalis? Now, if you don't know who Wynton Marsalis is, he's just a, one of the best uh, jazz players of all time. Just phenomenal. And the guy goes, Are you kidding me? Why would Wynton Marsalis be in this joint? You know, this little dive. You're right. Why would he be here? Well, by the fourth song, now there's no doubt. The trumpeter has stepped forward. It is the legendary Wynton Marsalis. He steps into the light and he begins an unaccompanied solo rendition of a song called I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance with You. As he listens to Wynton play, the author writes down on his notepad one word, magic. Magic. The author says this, he performed the song in murmurs and sighs, at points nearly talking the words in notes. It was a wrenching act of creative expression. When he reached the climax, Marsalis played the final phrase, the title statement in declarative tones, allowing each successive note to linger in the air a bit longer. I don't stand a ghost of a chance. And then in the silence, somebody's cell phone went off. The 
people started laughing. People were picking up their stuff. They didn't know what to do. It's one of those awkward situations. Winton paused. He was motionless. The cell phone, you know, continued to go off. He's fiddling with it. The guy runs out. Everyone's silent. And the writer adds, magic ruined. The cell phone offender scoots out and all of a sudden Winton... The audience comes back as he improvises and ends back with, I don't stand the ghost of a chance with you. The audience burst into tremendous applause. And you see, Jesus' death on the cross is the loudest cell phone ring (laughs) that's ever gone off in human history. Magic ruined. Hurricane Michael was magic ruined. COVID was magic ruined. And yet Jesus takes our melody. The melody of the cross, of death, of sin, the wrath we deserved. Magic ruined. He takes it all and he weaves it into his melody of life. And now he stands at the door. And he waits and he watches and he says, I will take your rotten melody. I will take your rotten years. I will take your rotten life and I will weave it into a majestic composition that will leave you breathless. Are you excited about 2023? <laughs> what, can it, what can it throw at us? Probably new things. <laughs> Probably new tragedies. But the Lord will take those rotten things and make beautiful music with it. And one day in heaven, we will sing that song for all eternity. And our little lives will be just footnotes, little dashes, little notes in that score. And it will be wonderful. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I will say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Let's pray.